0: And welcome back, Chelsea fans. This is part two of this week's podcast series of the Romans Empire podcast. Andres, we are officially 36 38th through the season right now. Um, and for those of you that are listening... Quick maths. Um, yeah, quick maths. Um, but also, we did release part one as well, so make sure you guys go check that out. We actually did a Man United review and uh, a Martin Atkinson roast as well. So... Um, let's uh let's dive right into uh part one let's do
1: it so we'll start this part the second part of the week with our twitter questions and we'll start or and chelsea news so we'll start with the fact that we might have one less center back to finish out the season as rudiger's latest injury might keep him out for the remaining weeks what are your initial thoughts on that zach it
0: is uh I have mixed emotions about it because when I saw his name on the team sheet for the Man United match, my initial reaction was, listen, he hurt his knee via a non-contact injury against Burnley and, uh, or, or not against Burnley, I'm sorry. Who did we play before Burnley? I don't know why I'm drawing a complete blank right now, but when he injured himself, it was non-contact. And we talked about this with Callum hudson Adoy. The non-contact injuries are oftentimes the most dangerous, and Rudiger did try to continue on it. Obviously, he couldn't, and much of the same in this match. He came back, went down, um, and to be completely honest, it didn't look very good. And if it was up to me, and I was a manager, and Rudy was available next match, I'm saying, look, bud, you're going to be benched until you're completely healed because you're way too important to this team to sustain a longer-term injury. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are blessed because... We have a backup that's as good as backups get in the Premier League in and, and Andreas Christensen. And now he's going to get his first extended run in the first team and probably finish out the season. So that's always something to look for. And I, th- I feel like whenever it comes down to injuries, we do have to look at the silver lining.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I'm going to look at the positive side of things here. The fact that for one, Christensen gets a run of games going into the end of the season and next season, I really do believe that he needs to be starting beside Rüdiger. Mm-hmm. Just That's just my opinion, how I would want the side to be, just to bring a little bit of balance as to how we defend. But the other thing that not, not many people have talked about is, with this opening, we might actually be able to give Gary Cahill a proper send send-off. Yeah. And should we, should we win the next game and Arsenal screw up and essentially seal the deal on the top four race, Cahill can start a full 90 minutes as his final Premier League match for Chelsea because let's be real there is almost zero percent chance he stays for next season obviously at this point I don't want to rush Rudiger back I don't know if that's worth it unless three doctors clear him and he is running full speed like nothing happened I don't want to rush him back we have seen what happens when we rush back our players Mm -hmm. and like you said Christensen is more than capable so no need to just bring him right back. We don't want to pull a cane with Tottenham and and have him injure the exact same knee over and over and over and over again. So as much as it sucks to lose one of our kind of emotional leaders, I think that we should have the talent to finish out the season without him. Now, this next question is for our Game of Thrones fan base out there. And I want to throw this year away. Who do you think is Chelsea's Azora High? And for those who don't know who Azora High is the the prince who was promised the bringer of light for he the real
0: he or she wields the light bringer sword. So um I mean it, it is Eden Hazard, right? But like that's the easy answer. But in this instance, I'm gonna go and go Conte. Because I thought we really Ooh. struggled in the midfield areas, especially against Man United. And, and and we mentioned it. He didn't look 100%. So if Conte mm-hmm. is not running on 100 octane, and he's only running on 93 or 91, we're in trouble. <laughs> because yeah. without that guy, we basically don't have any midfield solidity whatsoever. He is five, he's five feet, six inches of safety net. And... Uh, when he's only running on 90% or 80%, whatever he was at Man United, we're in trouble. So, Ngolo, congratulations. You are the Azora High.
1: <laughs> so, so, I'm going to go with a little bit of a different approach here. Much like in the TV show, we've been hearing about Azora High, and we've had plenty of characters who seem to fit the bill main characters, headlining characters, yet mm. nobody has quite been Azora High just yet. And I think we haven't seen the full potential of our Azora High. My shout for that is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And here's why. Our midfield three was complete and absolute garbage and dysfunctional moving into the top front third of the pitch. Little did we know that inserting Ruben Loftus-Cheek was going to be the quick solution to this season's left center mid conundrum. I think that he is growing into that role. I think that it has freed up Hazard. It has freed up some of N'Golo Conte's responsibilities. It has helped Jorginho. He, his addition has freed up every position around him as as well as himself. And the realm, in this case Chelsea, has benefited. And the moment we lose Hazard, we're going to need another strong presence who can make magic occur out of nowhere. And I think that's going to be Loftus-Cheek before we know it.
0: Ooh, man, but see I still think Ngolo Kanté is a better fit because he can he can he can uh he can stand right next to his counterpart if you will, Azora High and Arya Stark. And I think their height similarity would also make them a pretty good match for each other as well. And Arya does seem to have a very strong personality and Ngolo Kanté is like sort of a pushover he's a very nice guy so i think that you know opposites attract man who knows <laughs>
1: <laughs> well listeners if you are a huge game of thrones fan and you want to give us your shout out or hi go ahead and tweet us at roman's empire pod we love these kind of crossovers where we talk game of thrones and mm. chelsea so please send that our way where we are huge nerds outside of this <laughs> football environment but going back to straight football
0: sorry sorry to cut you off andres yeah. but Really quick, um, who's our brand? Oh my god! Because for me, it's Jorginho.
1: Really, I was yeah. going to, I was going to take another approach, a weird one again. So brand is is now this kind of player who's doing things in the background and just saying things to make sure that everybody else does the right move or, or the right next tactical step. So I was actually going to compare him to. So what JT was under Conte, where he wasn't playing ever, but he was still our team captain. So that was gonna be my my shout for for our, our version of Brand. I
0: I only picked Jorginho because like like Brand, people seem to be confused as to why Don't they're yeah exactly. So um yeah, I, I I I I was just curious to see what you thought about that because. I didn't I like understand that. I didn't understand where they were going with it man and like I'm going to vent a second about Game of Thrones because <laughs> like when he wargs he's we're supposed to see what he wargs into all we saw was it were a bunch of ravens flying at like 150 miles an hour like they scaled winterfell within like a 7 second span and that's basically all we saw so from what we know all brand does is you know warg into these ravens and <laughs> basically racing racing yeah. ravens kind of like I, like mike tyson status racing ravens yeah. confusing so confusing lazy I, writing by the way <laughs> i
1: and, guess you could argue also brand sees everything and jorginho seems to have uh, eyes in the back of his head so uh, the fact that how quickly he gets rid of the ball like pressure is coming mobile <laughs> also so true But before we start naming every single Game of Thrones character and their Chelsea counterpart, let's talk about the fact that our Eden Hazard might have been the biggest snub ever when selecting a team of the year in potentially any sports across the world this year. Hazard did not make the Premier League eleven this season after having the highest total goal contribution out of any single player. And on top of that, he has more goal contributions than any player in the top 2 teams who are fighting for the Premier League. Somehow Paul Pogba, who has been a center mid whose numbers have been very reliant on penalty kicks who himself didn't earn, made it over Hazard. So I as you can tell by my tone of voice, I'm not a big fan of this. I don't understand one bit. How your most statistically proven player this season, regardless of what you want to think of the players and what it means, ball don't lie, and Hazard should be on this team. Zach, what, what do you want to say?
0: People are going to be like, oh, well... Stats aren't all that matter, and numbers aren't all that matter. Oh, now okay, they want well, to like, flip the
1: switch on it, us and say that it, stats don't matter. If
0: you're not going to look at goals and assists, then look at, like, dribble success. Look at the volume of dribbles. Look at the chances created. Look at – like, like like look at the other metrics, okay? Look at the percentage of goals that he is responsible for for his team. Like, by, like if we're talking – this is why I have a problem with, like, the player of the year and the team of the year and whatnot because, like – player of the year and team of the year is, is, is it's just the title is very objective and it's not like I, I know I'm gonna sound super American where we have MVPs over here most valuable players and that actually holds like actual value like the title itself who is the most valuable player to his team like if you take Virgil van Dijk off of Liverpool they're still a top four side you take Eden Hazard out of Chelsea we're probably fighting relegation, <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and that's where my problem is. Also, it's a fucking popularity contest. Everybody hates Chelsea. Who doesn't? Yep. Like, I think we're the only two people um, who don't hate Chelsea. Andres. like, sometimes I'm genuinely convinced of that. But the fact that Pogba gets in there and this guy, if you look at stats again, I'm going to bring up numbers again. He walked the most distance in the Premier League this season. And that's beside the fact that he has been one of the most inconsistent elite midfielders in world football in the last three seasons since he transferred to Man United from Juve. Like, the guy has all the talent in the world, and I'm not taking that away from him. He's world-class when he wants to be. And I know people are going to pull out the same argument for Eden Hazard, but you can't make that argument this season. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, we're looking at the scope of just this season. And that's what the – it's the team of this year. His
0: stats this year are better than his stats of when he won player of the year.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm just completely baffled at this. I think that, again, the media needed to squeeze in a Man United player in there. And Pogba has like 10 million followers on Instagram. So, of course, that's why. But apart from getting many haircuts and scoring penalty kicks, he didn't do much this year. So yeah. I'm going to move on from this topic and bring out a monstrosity because there is no other way of describing this hideous thing. I saw on a hanger representing Chelsea football club this week as our, one Ugh. of our kids talk was about leaked.
0: anything positive. we'll,
1: we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. I promise. I'm just building it up. I'm building up all this negativity, much like this last game of Thrones episode. It's, <laughs> The most horrendous thing I've ever seen. It is a technically blue kit with a random pattern printed on it to the point where the blue color is now shifting to this weird indigo, Everton, toffee, blue, purple thing. Oh, God. Where where is Adidas and what do I need to do to get them back? Uh,
0: Like... There's really no words to describe the kit besides a ah, chew and whatever boogers wound up on the kit is how the kit looks. Like <laughs> it, 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 it's 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 an abomination. <laughs> it's, it, it's, there's really no other way to describe it. And I know that the the logic behind the kit was, oh well, it's a it's a beautiful ode to Stamford Bridge and the history of the stadium and this and that. I don't want What a see... freaking
1: patch that says Stanford Bridge founded on this year. And exactly. we can
0: move on. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not even the same fucking blue of Stanford Bridge, which is what like oh, that even baffles God. me completely. Nike was spot on their first year. The first yeah. year uh uh the first year we had Nike, just the plain blue kits, nice and simple. They had the beautiful white accents, and it was the perfect blue. It was gorgeous. I perfect. love that kit. Fast forward one year. Now we have this Crayola marker, ripped-looking skid mark. like It's like what your underpants look like after you shart, and that's, that's basically this year. And now we've just moved a little bit north and have moved to just sneezing on a t-shirt so now like we got boogers on a t-shirt i know it sounds childish but like there's really no other way to explain it andres like i i buy chelsea's kit every year i buy their home kit every year and because one i'm not a plastic but two i like to collect them because when i have kids i'd love to turn over all my kits to them you know like here son here's every kit home kit from the last 25 years and every year, the last year especially, I heavily considered deviating from the home kit to get the yellow one.
1: Oh, that one's class. I, because the I, yellow
0: one's beautiful.
1: Yep. And uh, they, the I might have they, to do the
0: same this, this year. This season? Yeah. So the, the, the
1: positive of this leak is that now they're saying that this is some sort of cup kit, meaning this is the equivalent of the sky blue uh, bird's eye view of Stanford Bridge in London kit that we have this season that we have used plenty in the Europa League because there are other leaks that had similar sock designs where the blue Chelsea kit is very much more Chelsea blue and it has a, a slight red accent so it's a lot more standard what we should expect
0: is that is that the plain one with the red stripe on the end of the sleeve?
1: No it's a it's red stripes at the end of the collar. So uh, they it, they also released these the the away kit I believe was gonna be something, man I don't remember the away kit much but the point is the socks were very similar so now they're saying oh this is another this other kit was just a is just a cup kit and I'm really hoping that's the case because that does not look it it's not it's just not Chelsea
0: I mean Nike just swung and missed this year I mean like <laughs> e- even Spurs third kit that disgusting green like it's mm-hmm. like this blue slash green is is gross. Chelsea's kit this year was gross. I mean, like, I haven't seen a Nike kit this year that I've actually liked, you know. And, and for some reason, all of, all of the elite clubs, I'm using my air quotes, you go to, like, Barcelona, their kit was decent. You go to PSG, their kit was decent. But it looked classic. They still right. kept that classic look. And I just, oh, God, I hope that's not our first kit. I hope you are right. I, I really th- hope you are I'm right.
1: Staying, I'm staying – optimistic on this one i I can't see them deviating so far from the blue to this weird purplish color but i promised you some good news there Mm -hmm. has been matt law came out with a report this week talking about how chelsea has to make certain changes because they have now acknowledged that they are way far behind as a whole organization from liverpool and man city and one of their first moves is to bring bring our goalkeeping legend Champions League winner Peter check back into the fold and some sort of advisor to the board role. Mm. Is there any sweeter headline than that so far in terms of <laughs> at least a step in the right direction for what a director of football role will eventually become?
0: Ugh. This is exactly what we need. That's basically all I have to say about it. We, we need somebody that understands the club and that understands the club culture and understands the fans and has that relationship with the fans, not somebody that's, that hides behind a desk and cashes checks all day. And, and and I think it's the right move. I mean, not even from just like a a, a player, an ex-player perspective or anything like that. Like you take all that aside And you look at Peter Cech as a man, like just as a human, as a citizen of the world, and he is an absolute gem. You never hear anybody say anything bad about him. No scandals. He's had a clean record. And we actually have a very close friend of mine um, that Sam and I went to high school with who is a diehard gooner. And I feel sorry for him. I give him a lot of shit. But the only things he has to say about Peter Cech are positive. And that tells you everything you need to know. This guy could go from an arch-rival to, to to another arch-rival and become loved there as well. And that tells you everything you need to know about Peter Check. Now, I know if Sam was on the podcast, he would say the only name that would make him wetter than Peter Check would be Michael Ballack. Ugh. And I wouldn't be opposed to that either. <laughs> I think our front office would get immediately much more good-looking um, and a lot more German. But, like, either way those two names have to be the type of names that we need to be linked with yeah period.
1: i and, and to take it one step further i think i've become disillusioned with the idea of sorry coming back next season and mm. to to make this a 10 out of 10 you bring me and give I'm already seeing all the argument, counter-arguments about lack of experience. But you bring me Frank Lampard with JT as an assistant, especially after seeing how JT reacted this weekend uh, against the, in their match against Leeds. And we have a foundation for, for the future and for the present to, to bring success back to Chelsea. We don't mm-hmm. have that kind of personality in the locker room. Let's force one in there and put a manager who has done it for this club Put an assistant manager who has also done it for the club mm-hmm. and the goalkeeper that was part of that uh, spine that can try to see what missing pieces were seeing. It makes sense. Peter check spent 80% of football matches watching a team play in front of him. I'm sure that that has to translate to some scouting talent, like like the ability to, to scout some players and seeing areas of need. He literally was a general pointing, directing, this might be a shoe in for for what we're looking for. So, the old guard we had to replace him on the pitch. Maybe we just needed to bring them back in a in a management position.
0: But, yeah, I mean, it, it, whatever capacity we bring him back in, I think would be positive, even if it's along the lines of like a club ambassador, something similar that DDA like something similar to what DDA Drug was doing. I know DDI drug was more of like a global ambassador, right? Mm -hmm. Like he travels from destination to destination does like events and things like that just because he's a more popular face, but Peter check definitely seems to have the temperament and, and and the, and the, and the wit to understand the position and understand the business of attracting talent, bringing talent in, signing players up and, uh, and also attracting top managers and, 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 assistant coaches and people that could be involved in a club in other ways, like even the youth system, I would go as far to say. So, mm-hmm. you know, something like that would be completely positive in every sense. And I will be bitterly disappointed if we don't bring back someone that has an affinity to Chelsea, like Peter Cech um, in a technical director role.
1: So you, you actually just mentioned a little bit about youth. And one of our youth products, Fikayo Tomori, has become the Derby County Player of the Year. The you, you. Frank Lampard Lampard managed Derby County, and for those who don't know much about Fikayo Tomori, he plays center back. He was supposed to be he was flirting with the idea of being a Canadian international at a young age, but he actually was part of the I believe it was U twenty English team that won the World Cup, mm-hmm. and. He has been a stalwart for Darby in the back line. I know Mason Mount catches most of the headlines for that team in terms of Chelsea fans, but Tamori has been more of a starter than Mount has, and he was voted to be the player of the year for a team that is in a, a playoff position to be up in the Premier League. So Zach, my question to you is, would you take him at any sort of role back in the 22 man roster for Chelsea next season?
0: Uh, to be honest, yes, I I would actually send out Ethan Ampadu on loan, who is one of our backup center backs. Why not bring in Fikayo Tamori? I think it's a lot more seamless to bring a player from the Championship to the Premier League, um, than people think because the physicality in the Championship is arguably more physical than the Premier League, um, as a whole. And you know, we did see Tamori have an absolute howler. Uh, at the bridge when we played against them. But I know Darby County fans have been so high on him all season long. And the fact that not a lot of people have been talking about him um, and he hasn't been getting as much attention as guys like Mason Mount, um, it tells you everything you need to know about him. He puts his head down and, and, and he gets shit done. So I think he deserves to be on the preseason squad. I'd like to take a longer look at him. I won't be opposed to seeing him get loaned out. But I think as, like, a backup center half or to possibly play him in, like, cup competitions, he'd be perfect. And he already has the experience. Let's not forget, he went to Old Trafford and was part of that team that beat Man United at Old Trafford, Trafford. and knocked him out of the Carabao Cup. So, like, Andy played against us at Stanford Bridge. Like, he has played in some very, very big games this season. And you also add to the fact that Darby County is in the championship playoffs. So he's going to have experience playing in potentially season-defining matches. By the time the season's over, and it's just a great situation for him to be it.
1: Yeah, for me, there's a couple of factors that would keep him on the Chelsea roster for me. For so, for one, sorry, who is our manager? So mm-hmm. if, if it if it's sorry, I'm not sure. If like I said, if it's Lampard, that increases his time tenfold. The next whole p- part of this is the transfer ban. We still don't know. I read somewhere this week that we should know within the next week because they promised about a two-week turnaround, and we're approaching the end of the month. So FIFA should come out and tell us recent, soon, I mean not recently, if and when we can sign and register players again. And mm-hmm. the final bit of that is twofold. One, which center backs are coming back next season? David Luiz still hasn't extended, and you mentioned Ampadu. And again, depending on the manager, is Ampadu going to be changed to a defensive mid destroyer, which is where he plays at Wales, or does the next manager see him strictly as a center back? Because mm. if he will become a destroyer in midfield, he could be a backup to whoever we need to, him to be a backup for. Again, it all depends on what kind of system we're going to be playing in, and that does open up a slot for Tamori to be kind of the the backups in terms of like Zuma. Tomori behind uh, a Rudiger and and Christensen so for me there is a few things obviously I would love to reward a player who is just one player of the year has played for Frank Lampard who I believe is Chelsea's top choice to replace sorry I, I see I see the potential it's really hard to judge center backs in my opinion because stats don't do as much for them but for him to be selected week in and week out speaks volumes to me so I, I hope that he's at least in contention but uh moving on to our current youth academy products and it has become kind of a mainstay for them to make it to the Wifi youth cup final they were back at it again this year and they were facing off against porto and fell short and were defeated 3-1 First off, congrats to the youth team once again for making it so far into the squad. Again, the purist in me loves to th- see this. Redden is a talent up top. Mm-hmm. And Anderin, and- I-, I don't know how to say his name properly, in the midfield. I think he's also fantastic. Uh, the keeper, Zager had a-, a bit of a howler today. But, hey, it happens to the best of them. Let's see how the kid reacts. Mm-hmm. But, again, crazy talent in this youth academy. I just cannot wait till we learn how to harness it and bring them onto the first team. Zach, what do you want to add to
0: this? Um, no, I thought I thought the run was really impressive. I didn't get a chance to catch the match. It was on Bleacher Report Live. I could have watched it. I, I had things to do, so you know, my bad. But <laughs> I did watch the highlights, and uh, you know, all credit to them. You know, they fought, they scrapped. You know, Porto went up one nil. And we had a reaction. We equalized that 1-1, but Porto was just better than us on the day. And there's not much else you could say about that. And, you know, I, I know it's on the script, but I'm just going to go ahead and mention it, Andres. I, I also want to talk about the Chelsea ladies who had a miracle run this season in the, in the, in the, in the Women's Champions League. And they were eventually knocked out by Lyon uh, earlier in the week. And just a background on Lyon, they are the Barcelona of women's soccer. They absolutely dominate, and they're basically a monopoly almost. Like It's it's crazy, but again, they had an incredible run, much like the U19s, and uh, they made the club and the supporters incredibly proud of their achievements. There aren't many ladies' teams in world football that are making waves in the club's mainstream fan base as the Chelsea ladies have done this year. And I think that's, I, you know, you've got to tip your hat to everything they've done over there. And uh, they're just a phenomenal side. So all credit to them. And, and, and we're looking forward to next year. And uh, I think my next Chelsea kit might be a Marin Mielda one. Who knows? Yes. There you
1: go. At least somebody's keeping the tradition of winning for Chelsea football club. So congratulations <laughs> yeah. to the women's yeah. team. Emma,
0: Emma Hayes. I hope, I, you know what? I know this is crazy, it might sound crazy to whoever's sexist. Oh, I know where you're going with this. But I actually think Emma Hayes would be a phenomenal dark horse shout for the Chelsea manager spot, for the men's team. Oh, my God. Man, we
1: we've we already have to deal with idiotic racist fans. I don't <laughs> want to add sexism into the things that Chelsea gets hounded for. As much as I can respect that, the public relations department is going to have a nightmare if she actually gets hired as our manager.
0: Oh hey, my I would be – you know what though? I actually think having a female head coach – like obviously like the negatives are that we have like a bunch of cunt fans. Like but what's new? It's Chelsea. But I think a positive is like we talk about Sari's ability to motivate. We talked about it in part one. So if you guys haven't listened to it, you should download it. Good plug. But uh, so we talk about Sarri's motivational strategies. Imagine if you have a woman yelling at you and you're a grown-ass man and she's in charge. That's pretty fucking intimidating. And that might be the kick up the backside that the squad needs, to be completely honest. <laughs> Besides the fact that she's just an absolutely brilliant manager that's just been overachieving since she, since she got the job. So – I don't think it's crazy to think. I think she's a quality manager. I don't think you have to be, you know, the days of, you know, oh, you could only manage if you're a man or you could only manage if you were a former pro or this and that. I think those days are long gone, and uh, I wouldn't be opposed to her getting a job. Like, we see it in the NBA. Everybody knows who Greg Popovich is, San Antonio Spurs head coach, has been there for 27 years, arguably the greatest NBA coach of all time, and his main assistant is Becky Hammond, a female Who's attracting interest from other NBA cl- uh, franchises to become their head coach? So, like, this movement's already happening in America. I can't wait to see it happen overseas.
1: Yeah, in America, where we are currently the most racist, the most sexist, the most homophobic. So, if we can do it, <laughs> anybody <you> can, good. <laughs> yeah, give it a, your best shot. But. I'll take this chance to move on to a question from one of our REP ultras, Black at Black Emoji, where he asks, Who are the ideal players for sorry to sign next season to correctly implement his brand of football? So this is specific to sorry. I'll play along. You know my stance. I don't think sorry's job is as safe as most people think it is, but I'll play along for the question, but I'll let you take over first. Give me give me three to four players who you think Uh, Could be the right person to compliment Sorry and his vertical tiki-taka, a.k.a. Sorry ball.
0: Reese James at right back. I don't think we need to go out into the market and purchase one. I think we have a ready-made one currently on loan at Wigan in a championship. One player of the year at Wigan. And is also on the team of the season for the championship, even though Wigan have conceded like the third or fourth most goals in a championship. They're at the bottom of the table. For a defender to get that much clout in that league is absolutely phenomenal. That's one. Number two, Andres, you're going to love this. We move Marcus Alonso to the number nine to solve our striker problems. (laughs) And in comes Lucas Dean, free kick master. From Merseyside. Well, he's actually from France, but like he plays for Everton. You guys yep. get the point. Anyways, he's a phenomenal player. He would be perfect for our system, especially if Sari stays. He went to Bar. He he went to Barcelona. Um, that was his first major major move. Where did he play before Barca? Uh, I think it was PSG. Was it? Yeah. Oh, well, he okay.
1: A, he was a young talent there.
0: Well, if we're wrong, whoever's listening, you could check us. No problem. But. Again, I mean, he he worked and trained with Barcelona for two seasons. Yes, he didn't cut it. But again, there's nobody in world football more suited to Barcelona left back than Jordi Alba. So you can't really blame him there. But he's accustomed to possession football. He's great at set pieces. And he's also a pretty solid defender. Um, The next position I think we need is center mid. And the Mason Mount situation is an interesting one because... If Frank Lampard's Derby County get promoted to the Premier League and sorry, you know retains his and sorry retains his post at Chelsea, I think loaning Mason Mount to Derby County for another season would only benefit him more because now he's not only learning from Frank Lampard in the Championship, but he's actually putting it to practice at the highest level possible. That's number one. Our backup. Let's say Mason Mount does go on loan. Nicolo Barella, a name that's already been linked with us. Somebody that Sarri has identified as the second coming, basically, of Jorginho. And someone that's already fully blooded into the, into the Italian national team. And I think that's the more important point here, is that this guy already has an international football reputation. Granted, Italy aren't the greatest right now. But if you don't think this guy's like, – like, watch his YouTube highlights, watch his videos – He's absolutely incredible, and he he has a very low center of gravity. He's able to wiggle out of tight situations, dribble out of pressure, very similar to Kovacic, but he's also able to dictate the tempo and play like Jorginho. Lastly, we need a striker. And I have two names here, Andres. One that I think is realistic, and one that I think is unrealistic. So I'm going to talk about the realistic one here, and that's Nicolas Pepe. If you guys have been living under a rock and haven't heard about him, this dude has been lighting up the French League. He's a striker slash pseudo winger. Um, very similar playing style to someone like Sadio Mane, except a little bit taller. He's big. He's fast. He can hold off defenders. He scores goals and buttloads, loads, but he also creates chances. Now, I have the unrealistic name here. And... <laughs> Like, just reading this name and thinking about him coming to Chelsea is giving me a semi. But, Diego Costa. <laughs> and listen, listen, hear me out. Hear me right. out. <clears throat> Excuse me. He left Chelsea on bad terms. I understand that. That's why this is re- unrealistic. But he is on the outskirts of... Of that Atletico Madrid team. Diego Simeone clearly favors Alvaro Morata and Griezmann as a partnership up top. He's had a falling out with everyone at the club, Diego Costa. He's talking shit to referees, getting eight match bans. Why not bring him back to Chelsea? In this system. In Sarri's system. That will absolutely propel us to the next level. And... God, I fucking loved him. And... I'm not. I'm not trying to pull a Rory Jennings here. I'm not going to say Diego Costa was better than Drogba because Jesus Christ. that's just fucking idiotic on every single level. But he is the closest thing we've had to Drogba since Drogba. And uh, why not bring? Why not bring the man back? It's unrealistic. I'm living in fairyland. Yes, I know this isn't FIFA. This is real life. But I mean, come on, guys. Like, you can't tell me that like it doesn't. It doesn't tickle you in all the right places when you actually think about the prospect of him coming oh, back to Chelsea gosh. football club. <laughs>
1: I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh man, I I don't know. I think something's something's changed in his in his psyche, and he's obviously struggling. When when Morata scoring yeah. more when Marata scoring more goals than you right now, that's scary yeah. scary thought.
0: Yeah, but you know what? He's probably not injecting himself with horse placenta every other day anymore. So maybe that has something to do with it too. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good point. Um,
1: For me, I'm going to agree with you in terms of the downside backs. Right back, Reese James is very much what I would love to see. I know that he saw – I don't know how to say his name properly. Outside, he saw – is – Sari's right-back dream. And I know that now we're linked with Insigne as a winger option, another of Osari's children. But what pisses me off about those kind of moves is that he's just trying to recreate the exact same Napoli side. And before the pod, we, we were talking and you mentioned how Pep did something with Barcelona and then he did something different with different pieces just as successful in in Bayern and now he's doing it again differently at at City and that's what makes me think of what top managers do versus the good decent ones is that they can they can make it work with different pieces they can think outside the box not just oh these are the players I've worked with before so I I like your list a lot better than what realistically sorry would try to do I think Pepe now, more than ever with Cho's injury, is needed. Uh, I think that if we have any shot at Luka Jovic, we try to take it. I like mm-hmm. the Mason Mount shout. The, the center mid for me is a little bit trickier just because I, I really can't think straight as who or, or what kind of midfielder we need. I really like Awar at Leon as a, as a kind of Conte slash... RLC is the left more, side or the right center mid.
0: Isn't he more of a creative midfielder though? Because I was gonna include him on my list, but from what I've seen and what I've you know researched, he seems to be more attack minded. Like oftentimes he's deployed on the left um as a left attacking midfielder. So I don't know necessarily like I would include him on my list. He's a phenomenal player, but loftus mm. cheek has to be the guy to play there, and I don't you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, and I'm not trying to displace Loftus Cheek. I guess yeah. also the other rumor is that if hazard goes and we don't have a band that the big target needs to be a big name and, and everyone's like, Oh, well the only one that makes sense is Philippe Coutinho because Barca's trying to offload him. I'm not Good a big God, fan no. of the idea. I'm not uh, a big fan of the idea. So I like your list. Minus Diego Costa. I just don't I just don't see that. Let's go let's try to go for Jovic. He's obviously being sold by Frankfurt. And speaking of Frankfurt, we play them this Thursday. Europa League leg one semifinal. We are away at Frankfurt. And to give you a little bit of recap of Frankfurt, they are the reigning uh, DFB Pokal champs. They beat Bayern last season while uh, Nikola Kovac was still their coach, and he's now at Bayern. They are currently fourth in the Bundesliga And they are flooded with attacking talent. They've got my dream signing of Luka Jovic with 17 goals in the Bundesliga, 26 this season in all competitions. There's also Filip Kostic, who has been now tallied 10 assists in the Bundesliga and 20 total goal contributions in 41 matches this season. Those are ridiculous numbers. As a team, they have 28 Goals in twelve Europa League matches in twelve Europa League matches, so scoring is not an issue for them at all. And Frankfurt <laughs> has only lost two. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, <laughs> I'm losing this. My bad. No, no it's all good. They uh, they've lost only two of their twenty matches in all competitions at the turn of the year of 2019. Luckily for us, they've come in their last five, so their form is a little bit back and forth. But these are – this side is very high energy. They definitely play with their emotions. They push their wing backs high, and they utilize them to you know provide service to the one and only Luka Jovic who can score with his eyes closed. Mm
0: -hmm. Basically German football in every sense. Like that stereotypical Gagin Press high-octane heavy metal football. That's basically what Eintracht Frankfurt does, and they do it quite successfully. Now, um, Andres, you touched over the things that we need to be wary of and their strengths, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about the 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 suspension slash injuries issues that they have right now. So, a big big reason why, you know, you mentioned dream signing Luka Jovic has been so successful this season is because he has been playing with a strike partner who is a target man in every sense of the word. His name is Sebastian Holler, 6'4". He's a monster. Uh, big Frenchman, could pick out a pass. He's basically Ali uh, but a better finisher in front of the goal. And he is out for the first leg with some sort of like a, I think he has like a, like a like a muscle injury in his in his torso or in his abdomen if i'm not mistaking so that's obviously like i mean if you can't play soccer without using your core so probably going to be a lengthy layoff he might miss a second leg he might miss the rest of the season even so yeah. you take him out and you also look at his numbers. Give me one second. I want to put – I had his numbers up here, man. I'm oh, just, I I, I, I
1: have them up, man. This, oh, yeah. Because he doesn't get enough credit. Like, my, my father is a big Bayern Munich fan, so I, I keep up with the Bundesliga a decent amount. And it's crazy how Jovic's light has taken so much from Holler because he's got 14 league goals and nine assists. Yeah. That is I mean, incredible.
0: He's responsible for more goals in the Bundesliga than Luka Jovic. Then Jovic has more caps than him. So, like, yeah, 14 goals and 9 assists. That's freakish. 23 direct goal contributions in 27 matches. Tells and you everything you need to know about And
1: add guy. 7 more goal contributions in the Europa League, he's got 5 goals in that competition and 2 assists. That's ridiculous. They're, they're, they're going to be missing him, and, and we're lucky because we struggle against those kind of physical forwards. So Yep. yep.
0: Yeah. And then um, there's also Ante Rebic. Who is an out and out wing back in every single sense of the word? I'm pretty sure he was the man of the match in their second leg against Benfica, if I'm not mistaken. I think across both legs, he had 10 successful tackles, which is ridiculous in a span of two matches. I mean, five tackles a match is impressive. But yeah, he's out for the first leg due to a one match ban. And again, another attacking talent, 13 direct goal contributions in 25 matches this season in the Bundesliga. Just ridiculous numbers. Eintracht, Eintracht Frankfurt is basically the Wolverhampton of the Bundesliga. Like, <laughs> there's Bayern, there's Dortmund, and then they're pretty much the best of the rest. Like, I I know they're in fourth, but like, okay, I, I'm forgetting about RB Leipzig, but they're the best of the rest outside of that, you know, of that group. And I would argue that if you're looking at balance, like just the team's balance, I would argue that Eintracht Frankfurt is a much more appealing roster based on the eye test than RB Leipzig. And yes, I did just say that because if you look at the two rosters themselves, the the firepower that Eintracht Frankfurt has Who would not want to coach that team? Like it's just that—that's almost like a dream team to coach. But especially with the money that they're going to get in for Luka Jovic, and then they'll probably there. There'll be people looking at Sebastian Haller. I mean, we talk about like strikers that Chelsea needs. Sebastian Haller might not actually be a bad alternative if we strike out a strike out on a guy like Jovic or Nicholas Pepe. And I don't think that's uh, too crazy to say. But yeah, I mean Andres. What do you think? Is there anything else else you want to add? Because I know that like you and your dad, you watch a lot a lot more Bundesliga than I do. I, I haven't caught much this season to be honest. Um, uh, but I is, am, is there anything that anything else you want to mention?
1: Just just relief. You mentioned Ante Rebic, and I I wanted to add he was an absolute nightmare for Bayern. They played uh he played as a, a winger for them last season. He he plays a, as a substitute forward. They play him anywhere where he can get near the attack. He's an absolute bullet. Like high octane, high pressure, not the – I wouldn't say he's the cleanest technique-wise, but the the man's going to cause problems. Mm -hmm. So for me, we need to go to Frankfurt and get the the best result we can possibly try to get and kind of catch them off guard before we go back to the bridge because if Holler and Rebic are out for this game – This might be our best chance to, one, not concede (laughs) and to just beat them up before they can even get up.
0: Yeah, and I think another thing to mention that we haven't talked about, just one last point about Frankfurt before we move on. They utilize a three-center-back system. So they usually play something like a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-1-2. Whatever way you put it, they play with two central strikers that play off of each other and a classic number 10 right behind them, and two workhorses in the center of that midfield, which is, I believe it's uh, Jonathan de Guzman and... Oh, I know Sebastian Roda has been playing there lately, but I, I I forget who plays next to him. But, you know, you look at that team, and that's a formation again. Take a, Putting aside the fact that it's a 3-4-1-2, you look at their shape... That is a midfield diamond, my friend. You know, you got Guzman. <laughs> oh, great! You got Guzman. You got whoever they put next to him. I think Kostic, it's, it, right? It could be Kostic if I'm not. No, no, I think Kostic is the wing back. But whoever is next to Jonathan de Guzman, I mean, you're you're gonna have a number ten playing in front of those two, and you have two strike partners. One of those is gonna drop into the midfield to create space for the other. Or, and or make runs beyond the striker which could create a diamond in the mid, middle of the field which is exactly what I think Eintracht Frankfurt are going to go for against us and i wouldn't put it beyond them for them to play a classic 3511 to create that diamond in the midfield and because they're lacking sh- uh, healthy strikers right now Playing Jovic up top by himself might not be the worst thing ever for them, and that way they could pack the midfield, they could stifle Jorginho, they could co- they could cut off the supply line, and, and and they could execute their high press as well. I don't think we can compliment Eintracht Frankfurt enough on the success they made this season and how big of a threat they are.
1: It's like, the first time we don't play a pub side in this competition,
0: mm-hmm. and 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 I know we've been on a tear and we've been undefeated in this competition, whatever. But Eintracht Frankfurt has just as much of an impressive record in this competition as we have. Um, I read a stat earlier today, and it said... Oh, here it is. So Eintracht Frankfurt are undefeated in 15 of their last 16 matches. That's according to Bet365. But... They're not gonna roll over, and, and these are all Europa League. So you know they they haven't necessarily played pub sides. Benfica was a very decent team, um, and, and and they took care of business. You know, the, and and they also fought against adversity. They went down three one in the first leg. Jean four Felix, two.
1: They went down four two, two four
0: two. Yeah yeah yeah. Jean Felix with a ridiculous hat trick. By the way, that guy's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but they they came back and they wound up advancing and. If you look at the videos of their fans celebrating that they got into a European semi-final in a cup competition, they literally knocked over the advertisement boards, and the stadium went nuts. So playing away anywhere in Germany, I mean, just just a fan culture there is just absolutely crazy. It's gonna be tough. So, how do you think it's gonna go?
1: Well. I think like I said, I think we need to get the away goal. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me. Recently, away goals, people are like, oh, you know, the home teams are oh, I didn't all as long as I don't concede or or the away team going to travel first is like, oh, I just don't need to get beat too much. But in reality, the team that travels first isn't has all the power. Mm-hmm. A one nil victory, a two one victory, a two two draw, one one draw, all of those are beneficial to Chelsea. We just need to get on that score sheet. I would love for it to be multiple goals, but that's that's my one request for this game. I, I don't really know because I'm not sure what Frankfurt's really going to look like without Revage and Holler. But mm-hmm. I really hope that, like you said, maybe we were preparing for Europa going into the Man U game and we bring Emerson back. Loftus Cheek got some rest. You know, it's Christensen and Luis from the beginning, so you don't have to use a sub on a defender. Again, mm-hmm. sucks that we don't have lo- uh, that we don't have Cho, but maybe Pedro starts this game and we get one of the hot switch Pedros. And at, at the end of it all, we have Eden Hazard. And Frankfurt has not played against an Eden Hazard. There is no Eden Hazard in the Premier League, so I want to say it'll in be a Bundesliga. in the Bundesliga. Sorry, <laughs> no, a two-two draw at
0: Frankfurt. I wouldn't mind a two-two draw. I actually went one-one. I think I think we will get the away goal. Um, but you know, you mentioned Eden Hazard. His away form this season hasn't been the greatest, and it, it really never has been. He's always thrived at home more than he has on the road. Um, so you know, I I, I think we are going to find it tough against Eintracht Frankfurt. I think that they're not going to be naive or stupid enough to uh, go at us full throttle right from the off, because they again, you said it. There is no Eden Hazard in the Bundesliga. You know the closest thing is Jaden Sancho. You know, like, in terms of just electric ability to pull some magic out of nowhere. So, I and 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 you take their their injuries into account. They have two of their three key cogs offensively are going to be out. So maybe Luka Jovic will struggle to find a rhythm without a strike partner that he's uh, as affiliated with or has that same chemistry with. I'm going to go one one. But I think the key here, Andres, is making sure that we don't concede more than one goal. Even if we get the away goal and it's 2-1 to to Eintracht Frankfurt, I will not feel confident going back to the bridge like that, knowing that we have to beat them by two in order to advance.
1: Yeah, Uh, we we technically, in a 2-1 loss, we would only have to score once.
0: Well, one, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, but but that also means that they know they need a score. So yeah, no but, I I agree. But, but, I think a draw a draw at the minimum is is needed.
0: Exactly. And, and and you look at the way teams have played at the bridge like Slavia Prague for example. Oh god. We thought want they to really were just that game. But but I mean it's case in point like a lot of times for these players like Eintracht Frankfurt is like a class above Slavia Prague like they're they're nowhere near as poor as them by any stretch Mm -hmm. but at the same time for some of these players it might be their only time playing at a stadium like Stamford Bridge so there's always that prospect of them we know they're going to be up for that match because these guys are going to be licking their lips like man I'm going to be playing in London at Stamford Bridge it's their one
1: chance at a trophy this season as well yeah, they're already yeah. out. They're not winning the Bundesliga, and they're out of the Pokal. The Pokal final is going to be Leipzig-Bayern. So, yeah, this, this it's all or nothing for them. Much, much like us, but, again, even more so for Frankfurt.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, let's round it out with one more preview. We have Watford at home this weekend. Uh, a little bit about Watford. They are actually 10th in the table right now, four points off of seventh place, but also four points above 11th. So, this is actually Watford's most successful campaign ever. And it's funny that I'm about to say this, but they have dropped 11 out of a possible 18 in their last games. Mm-hmm. So to put it into perspective, Watford is one of those inconsistent mid table sides, but they also have great quality across the pitch. They have Pereira, they have De It Usually this team causes us trouble is the mm-hmm. point I'm trying to make. And, Chelsea also likes to make life really hard on themselves. So, Zach, how do you, how do you see this match going?
0: I think 1-1 one, one. again. I mentioned it in part one. I think the most difficult part about this run-in is the fact that we have to play ten matches or four matches in a span of ten days. And uh, the Eintracht-Frankfurt match is going to be difficult, one, because of traveling. Two, because of the energy that Frankfurt is going to force us to exert. And Watford is very similar in the sense that they're never a team that just rolls right over, especially in London derbies, and they get up for matches. So I have to go 1-1 here. I think we score first, but like like I said earlier, with the fixture pileup, with a and doy's injury, we don't have as much depth on the wings. We have a misfiring striker in Higuain, and apparently Ali Giroud can't play back-to-back matches because he's, you know, over wh- how many meters tall did Sari say? I don't know meters compared to feet, but I think I just think that Watford has the players that could hurt us. Delefeu is in the form of his life. Will Hughes, much of the same. Um, somebody like Troy Deeney, I could just see him pinning himself to Andreas Christensen all match long and just bodying him. Andre Gray is absolutely phenomenal. Ricardo Pereira, I mean, even though he's hit or miss, he's great. They just have a really good side with a great manager in Javi Gracia. It's going to be a tough one. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go 1-1. And to be completely honest, you know, we mentioned it in the last part too. If we can – I only think we really need three more points in the next two matches to secure safety. So a 1-1 against Watford might not be the worst thing ever. But, again, I mean, we are at home. So – yeah. We should be expecting the three.
1: What, what do you think? For me, I, I think a win is more obtainable here than it is at Leicester. Mm-hmm. So I think that Chelsea needs to win this game. Simple as that. I, It all comes down to one player, and that's going to be Eden Hazard. Mm-hmm. I, I can't count on Iguain just magically show up. We don't know what Loftus Sheik's health conditions are. You said it. We might have to see a few rotational options because we have a game Thursday. So Eden Hazard, it's it's on you, man. We we need you to give us one final gift. Get us to the Champions League. Not that you owe us anything, but it would be a nice way to say goodbye. So I, I'm thinking we actually win this game two nil.
0: You know, I know it's like one of those situations where it's like, oh well we're we're in a top four hunt. We need to get as many points as possible. But I think if you're looking at the actual situation, actual situation, I can't even speak English anymore. My cough drop is making me salivate a lot, sorry. (laughs) But uh, like like I said, four games in 10 days. Could this be a case of we go to Eintracht Frankfurt, we field our strongest squad, and then we do much of the same against Watford. Make sure we win that game and then kind of get whatever we can at Leicester on the final day of the season. I think that would probably be the best way to go about this.
1: I, I think so too. Just like we talked about this early uh, in another pod. I mentioned that when we played Burnley and we talked about their time wasting and all that, Burnley just needed one point to save themselves. Mathematically, hmm. they just needed one point. And instead of saying, oh, we have three games to do this, they said, screw that. Let's do it right now. We got the goals. Let's finish this game out and get our point. Let's get the three points at Watford. Like you said, if Arsenal just slips and draws one more time, it's game over. Yeah. Let's get the three points, put the pressure on everybody else. Let's not give them a chance to control our destiny anymore.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that that, that wraps up the part two of this week's podcast series. So, man, 36 episodes in and counting. We can't wait. Uh, hopefully we'll have many more positive episodes to come. I know that this week might have seemed kind of depressing, especially part one. But hey, guys, you should download it anyways because there's a ton of good information. We had a ton of great banter and a ton of Game of Thrones puns. So if you didn't enjoy (laughs) the the puns in this half, I'm pretty sure that you'll enjoy the ones in part one. So anyways, um, until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.